Chan for our worship team. Man. Woo. Fantastic job. Well, like Rick said earlier, my name is Charlie. I'm the, the youth pastor here at FMC, and so I'm going to be talking to you today. But uh, like I said uh, to those who were here for the early service, it's, it's kind of been an off day. It's just been a little bit off. It's been a little bit distracting. We've, um, my mic was attacking me this morning. And so before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I'd love for us to just take a moment to just pray and just kind of get in a place where we're uh, ready to hear from the Lord. So if you don't mind, let's pray. And if you do mind, we're going to pray. So just FYI. Father in heaven, you are good. I love singing songs. I love that we sang songs today that talked about you being so good. And I just want to pray first for those who are in this room who might be struggling with fear. Maybe, they, maybe it's not fear. Fear, but just that nervousness of maybe this is your first time here, or uh, maybe uh, you haven't been in a long time and you just don't feel quite settled. Father, I just pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to speak to them about your goodness. That you are not counting the days since they've been here, but that you are joyous at the fact that they are here, and that that love would calm their fears, that they would realize that you are good. And that they are in a good place. Help them to have that peace. And Father, for those of us who are like me, who have just kind of been kind of distracted today and kind of struggling and, and kind of just, it's just been off. I just pray, Father, for us that you would do battle on our behalf. Because I believe because you are good, you have a word for us today. There's uh, those of us who are here that uh, you want to heal, that you want to uh, speak encouragement to, that you want to breathe life into, that you want to, to grasp by the hand and pull out of the situations that, they're, that we're drowning in. And the enemy wants us to be distracted from that truth. The enemy wants us to, to turn our eyes away from that and worry about where we're going to eat lunch and uh, what we're going to do after uh, after church and oh what about all that work that I've got to get done before I go in tomorrow I pray father that you would do work on our behalf that we would be undistracted by those things and we would be focused on what we might receive from our father who loves us and father lastly I just pray for myself I am distracted as well I'm uh, struggling and I just pray father that you would enable me to, to uh, first hear your truth and then speak your truth I pray that, that what I say and what we talk about today would, would be pleasing to you, that that would, be the, that would be the test. Does it please my Father? And I just ask, Father, that uh, you would move and work freely. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, as you guys know, we've been working through this series on Mark, the divine mystery. And that's been amazing. Uh, Rick's done a great job. Uh, it's, it's been very interesting. Well, today we're going to be answering a sub-question. And that sub-question is, why has Jesus come? It's a very important question. Why has Jesus come? And I think if I, if I handed out some paper and I polled the audience and asked you to answer that question, I think a consistent answer, probably the most consistent answer that I would get is Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. That's a good answer, right? And, and if you're paying attention to the scripture that Roman read, uh, that would be an answer that Jesus would affirm. Three different times 
in three different chapters, Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer, must be betrayed, be killed, and three days later rise from the dead. So Jesus is affirming your answer. So good job. You got that right. But let me, uh, where are my moms in the room? Are there moms in here? Raise your hand if you're a mom. Okay. This question's for the moms. Okay. Is it a good sign that Jesus is having to repeat himself over and over and over again? Is that a good sign? Everybody's like, okay, yeah, that's a great strategy. No. Jesus is having to repeat himself over and over and over again because there is something that is preventing the truth that he's trying to reveal to his disciples. There's something that's preventing that from taking root and making sense to his disciples. It is not a good sign that Jesus is repeating himself. Uh, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Jesus is talking to some teenagers on their, on their cell phones. It's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you're going to die. Okay, I got that. Yeah, oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, rise again. Got it, got it, yeah. I heard you, I heard you, right? And I think if we examine the scripture, if we examine the context of Mark 8, 31, if we look at what's going on before Mark 8, 31, and we look at what's going on after Mark 8, 31, we'll see that that the disciples very much had a disconnect between what Jesus was saying and what they understood. So if you don't mind, let's look at that together. We're going to be in Mark 8, And we're going to start looking in Mark 8, 27. So in Mark 8, 27, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Well, they replied, Who do the people say that I am? Excuse me. Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked a really pointed question. He said, But who do you say that I am. He wanted, to, he wanted to know who his disciples understood him to be. And Peter, who's my favorite character in, the, in Scripture, because he's, he's the one that answers first and thinks second. It makes me feel good about myself and my own tendencies. He very quickly said, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And Jesus affirms that and says, God has revealed that to you. That I'm the Messiah. So, pop quiz. Is that the right answer? Did Peter get it right? Is Jesus the Messiah? Right? You said it with confidence. I respect that. Yes, he got that, he got that part right. Okay. But <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's like, he's pausing. He must want a different answer, right? <laughs> Peter's answer was correct. But I, we, what we don't immediately realize is that Peter's answer was correct. But his interpretation of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah and what he understood Jesus as the Messiah was going to do was very, very much incorrect. It was not correct. Jesus had, or Peter had the right answer, but he had the wrong definition. And we see that when we look in Mark 8, 31 through 33. So let's go there. When Jesus began telling them, Jesus began telling them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Other translations say that he rebuked Jesus. Other translations say he began to correct Jesus. So think about that. 
Peter just said, you're the Messiah, which translates to anointed one, the one chosen by God, the rescuer. Whoa, 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 you got that wrong, Messiah. No, 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 no. You can't be talking about dying. You can't be talking about being betrayed and spit upon. No, 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 no. That's wrong. You got that wrong. So let's keep going. But Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Whew. That's hurtful. I mean, I, think, I don't think there's a better burn in Scripture than that one, right? I mean, Peter was putting aloe vera on that for weeks. I mean, that hurt. Get behind me, Satan. Now, here's an important question. Was Jesus just trying to be mean? Was he just trying to just kind of punch Peter in the gut and be like, hey, Satan, get behind me. Don't be talking that. You don't know me. I'm the, I'm the Messiah. No. There's a very specific reason why Jesus chose to wound Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. And the reason is that Peter was, had a frame of mind similar to the temptation that Satan offered Christ in the desert. If you remember back, uh, it's, it's, this is talk, the temptation Jesus talked about in all four Gospels. And it's where uh, Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And the last temptation that Satan offered, he took Jesus um, up to a high point and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. You remember this? And he said, I'll give them to you if you'll but bow and worship me. The temptation that Satan was offering was glory without suffering. He's telling Jesus, I'll give you the kingdoms. You, you can just avoid the cross, but you have to worship me. And that was the same frame of mind that Peter was struggling with, was this idea that his, his Messiah would suffer in order to receive glory. You see, to answer our original question, why did Jesus come? Jesus did not come just to die on the cross for our sins. That is a very important thing that he came to do. That is not the only reason that he came. He also came to establish the kingdom of God and its values on the earth. He came to establish the kingdom of God and its values on the earth. And that is what was tripping up the disciples. That is what was preventing the disciples from connecting the dots and saying, oh, okay, that makes sense why you would die on the cross. That makes sense why you would do those. Okay, okay, okay. That was what was tripping them up was they were not seeing things uh, through the values of the kingdom. As Jesus told Peter, he was looking at it merely from human point of view. You see, Peter fell into a trap that all of us are in danger of falling into. The trap of thinking that the kingdom of God is about gaining, not giving. Peter thought that it was all about conquest and power, that following Jesus to Jerusalem meant he was going to have a front row seat to watch Jesus kick out the Roman government. It was going to be awesome. And then he's going to get to pick out his favorite seat. And he's going to get to sit by Jesus and they were going to just get to rule and reign. And it was just going to be all about power and prestige. He had this mindset. That's what following Jesus was going to be. It's all going to be about what he could gain from that relationship, how he might benefit. And, and he's not the only one. The disciples struggled with that as well. And we see that. We're not going to go there. But in Mark 9, through 37, Jesus, he predicts his crucifixion a second time. And you know what happens right after that? 
disciples get into an argument about who's the greatest. Their Messiah just told them a second time, I'm going to be betrayed and crucified and three days uh, rise from the dead. And afterwards they're like, hey man, isn't going to be, who's going to get to sit in the awesome seat? Who's going to get to sit right next to Jesus? Who's going to get to be identified as the most important? They had, this, they had a backwards view of what it meant to be a follower and a disciple of the kingdom of God. And you see, if you're thinking that the kingdom of God is about gaining, not giving, then this idea of a crucified Messiah will not make sense. You'll actually be tempted to give over and actually try to rebuke the Messiah and tell him, no, 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 that can't be the plan. That can't be what happens because what am I going to gain from you dying? Who's going to kick out the Romans if you're dead? Who's, who am I going to sit by? Who am I going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the right and the left of you if you're dead? And it's that very trap that Jesus was hoping to rescue his disciples from. It's what he was lovingly trying to tell them. He was uh, trying to wound them with the truth about the kingdom of God. You see, the, the kingdom of God is about giving, then gaining. The kingdom of God is about giving then gaining. And I think Jesus tries to reveal that to his disciples. If you look with me at Mark 8, 34 through 37, this is right after, immediately after, in the same circumstance of him telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. He just rebuked him. He just wounded him. And then he says this. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, Jesus wants us to understand. And he wanted his disciples then and his disciples now to understand that after we experience salvation... After we commit to becoming a disciple of the kingdom of God, there are some requirements. There are some expectations of us. And the first expectation is denying ourselves. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think there's a big mix-up. There's a huge difference between denying yourself and self-denial. Okay, huge difference. Self-denial is this. Uh, I'm not going to eat the Twinkie that I'm craving, right? I'm not going to eat that Twinkie that I've been craving. Somebody in here is like, how did he know I was craving a Twinkie? Somebody's getting convicted right now over their cravings. Denying yourself is saying it's God's will over my will. It's what God wants even if that requires me to give up on what I want. That's denying ourselves. And that's what Jesus challenges the disciples of the kingdom of God to commit to. He also requires and expects us to take up our cross. And that would have been scandalous. Scandalous. I mean, the disciples would have been like, because <gasps> Peter had just rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to the cross. And then Jesus turns around and responds, and, oh, and you need to take up your cross as well. So Jesus is... Uh, being very scandalous and very brutal, a brutal image of saying we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to our, our 
plans, our purposes, our opinions, and submit to the kingdom of God. God's plans, God's purposes, God's opinion. And then lastly, he says, and follow me. And I just love that image. That means that we're going to trust Christ to lead us, even if it's leading to the cross. That we'll follow him, even if it means we have to leave behind what we wanted, what our comforts are, what our uh, preferences are. Because obviously Peter, we, we talked about this in our Sunday school class today. Peter and Jesus were friends. Peter loved Jesus. It's a good thing. And Peter's preference was for Jesus not to die, for him not to see Jesus hanging on the cross. That was his preference. But that was not the kingdom's purpose. So Peter had to sacrifice his preference so that the purposes of the kingdom of God could be fulfilled. And that was painful. It hurt. But it was God's will over Peter's will. And unfortunately for Peter, I think, personally, it wasn't until after he had witnessed Jesus living out that teaching to the fullest extent on the cross that he finally, finally realized, it finally clicked for him that the kingdom of God is about giving, then gaining. It finally worked for him. So I want to read for you uh, the, first, the first letter that Peter wrote to the churches. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, I love this, this is a different Peter than who was rebuking Jesus. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. See, the truth is, whether we decide to follow Christ or we decide to take some other way, take our own way, there'll be a cost. There's always a cost. But for those of us who are disciples of Christ, who are disciples of the kingdom, we have an assurance. We have an assurance that our suffering is not pointless, it's not meaningless. It's not wasted. In fact, Jesus, our Messiah, promised first and then displayed second that in the hands of the Father, suffering can be transformed into glory. In the kingdom of God, we give first and then we gain. So last week, Rick challenged you guys and, and said uh, he wanted you to Ask the question, where are you going? That's a great question. Today, I hope that you leave here asking the question, who am I following? And at what cost? Let me pray for you.